Hey everybody, we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking the coronavirus, its impact on sports and the economy, and our response and what we need to be doing going forward. So without any further ado, uh, let's go. I am quoting Harry, you 17, have no idea. 17 into So I think this week for me, more than any other, has really shown that life without sports is hard. You know, there is so much boredom. There's nothing to watch. There's nothing to do. I'm stuck watching replays of New England Patriots and D.C. United games and New York Yankee games. And I'm really getting, it's really getting old. It's really getting old. But I am pretty sure that the cancellation of all professional sports leagues or at least the postponement of many of them, is the best thing that has ever happened to the New York Knicks. And I'm pretty confident in saying that. But rest assured, even with all this boredom, uh, the New York Times found an article saying that competitive marble racing is really picking up in its viewership and and in its support. Um, One of the founders of a YouTube channel that shows you and brings you live competitive marble racing matches said that it sucks us into another world, another dimension without war, misery, and negativity. And the first thing I thought after reading that was that nothing says positivity like a bunch of old folks rolling marbles down a board. But some other good news, down in Florida, professional sports were deemed essential businesses. It's good to know that Floridians have their priorities straight, and it really gives people something other than marbles. It gives them a real sport uh, to watch and to play in and to participate in. And, you know, it's very possible that sports don't come back until 2021, and that leaves a lot of questions as to whether sports are just going to restart their season or whether they're going to pick off, uh, pick up where they left off. We don't know. We don't know what they're going to do, and it's definitely going to be a complicated question, but an interesting one nonetheless as to how they answer that. But what's on the minds of a majority of Americans right now isn't on sports, and it isn't on the future of sports, believe it or not. And that's because 22 million Americans are now out of work. And now that virtually wipes out every single job added to the economy since 2010. And to put those numbers sort of into a perspective for you, almost 20% of the workforce in Pennsylvania is unemployed. 22% of the Hawaiian workforce is unemployed. 21% of the Michigan workforce unemployed. 15% of California unemployed. 10% of Maryland unemployed. And it just goes on and on and on. And, you know, these numbers are expected to really last. One in 10 Americans are expected to still be out of work through this coming holiday season. I mean, that's insane. And all these numbers, these numbers are so high, not, you know, aside from in terms of just government response and government failures, they're so high because all of this happened overnight. You know, most states' governments gave businesses about 10 hours to find out if they were essential, then, according to what they found out, notify their staff and if they needed to, close their doors. I mean, the suddenness and that still ongoing uncertainty as to whether this is going to get worse or if it's going to get better. And if it does get better, when is that going to happen? Makes the situation worse and more uncomfortable for people than from what the numbers are really showing. There's a psychological side that those numbers can't show you. 
And so it's important that we get this economy reopened, that we get people back to work, but it has to be done safely. We can't risk letting this virus resurge and do what it just did again. Now, estimates say that in order for this reopening to be safe and to do what it needs to do, we need between 750,000 tests per week to 22 million tests per day. And my first thought is, wow, that's a wide range. And I can't tell if this range is based off of real calculations or just like one person says we need 750,000 tests. And another sees that as a challenge to their medical expertise in one upsum. And next thing you know, it's just an auction. I really, I really can't tell. But nevertheless, the New York Times reported that since all of this started in the U.S., we've only tested about 3.1 million Americans. Now, to put that into perspective, in the first 10 days on Netflix, 34 million people watched Tiger King. So here's my plan. Hear me out. If we give all testing priority or all not priority, but testing job to Joe Exotic, we give him his own testing center. We let him film a few music videos to drum up some traffic and support. We can get those testing numbers up. Now, some states seem to be cracking down harder than others. And I mean, it caused some controversy. In Michigan, especially, it is now illegal for residents to visit their neighbors, and it requires big box stores to close sections, quote, dedicated to carpeting, flooring, furniture, guarding centers, plant nurseries, or paint. And over the past weekend, it has prompted several large protests throughout the state, and when one participant was asked why he was protesting, this was his response. Take a listen. And I can't go between those houses. You can't buy paint. You can't buy lawn. You can't buy lawn fertilizer or grass seed or whatever. I mean, come on. Now, I mean, really, who could blame them? Pandemic, pandemic. God darn it! I gotta fertilize the lawn. I gotta paint the bathroom. He's got his priorities straight, I'm telling you. But nonetheless, it's really not a lie to say that the federal government has dropped the ball here. I mean, we're short on testing. We're short on protective equipment, ventilators. Stimulus checks have been delayed. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a pretty libertarian guy, but there are certain moments that I want government to step up and to lead the effort. And, I mean, this isn't hypocrisy or inconsistent with sort of that libertarian mindset, that libertarian value to say that. Because there are very few things that I want my federal government or even my state government to be involved in. I just want to be left to keep what I've made, to take care of myself and the family. I just want government to do one job, and that is just to protect my rights. That's it. But in moments like war or, in our case right now, a global pandemic, these are the times that warrant government action. And, I mean, it just shows how ineffective government is, fighting and arguing at every turn, complaining over who gets the credit. I mean, nothing can get done. It is a mess. Take this for the example. In the first stimulus package, the first emergency relief legislation Democrats tried to fund a $200 million renewable jet fuel 
They tried to outlaw voter ID in every state. They tried to force early voting in every state. They were going to spend $25 million in funding for the Kennedy Performing Arts Center and $1 billion in Amtrak funding. Now, this isn't to say that Democrats are at fault or that Democrats are the reason that nothing is working. Republicans are totally unwilling to compromise on their version of the bill that doesn't do enough for small businesses. But ordinary Americans need more help. And you know what? I was thinking about how we can help them. What What can government do to help them? And I got this idea from Joe Walsh that's really interesting. So overnight, folks lost their jobs and their businesses at no fault of their own. They didn't do anything wrong and they lost it. And I I get it. You know, we've done our part. We were asked to stay home. The government has shut it down for good reason. I get that. That is not, you know, my complaint. But now government needs to do their part. And a one-time stimulus payment of $1,200 just doesn't cut it. If government took away Americans' income through no fault of their own, they didn't do anything to get their income taken away, it needs to be given back to those that are in need. Government needs to compensate us for our part, and $1,200 doesn't cut it. Not when people have families to take care of, rents to pay, mortgages to pay, bills to pay. They need more help, and I'm not a socialist. Anybody who knows me knows that I am so far from that. But government just can't steal from us. Government, even when it's warranted, even when action is completely and entirely necessary, can't simply just take away our jobs and our businesses and say sucks to suck. They can't take it away without compensating us. And it's clear and it's set in law that this kind of stuff can't just happen. Take, for example, what's called eminent domain. You know, if government wants to take some of your land to build, you know, a road, a a bridge, install a sewer pipe, install whatever, it has to compensate you fair market value for the land that they're going to take. So why is it any different here? If they're going to take away that income, if they're going to shut down the jobs, even if it's necessary, even if that road or that bridge or that water line or that sewer line is necessary, they still have to pay you. Why is it different here? Now, I think that this entire, you know, that entire idea would be far easier to swallow, far easier to accept for our leaders, both Republican and Democrat. If they just did what they said they would do before all of this happened, if they were going to be responsible leaders, if they helped fix our debt while we had everything going for us. But I mean, in the last three years, our debt has skyrocketed from $19 trillion to $23 trillion. And my thoughts on that and why it happened are going to be for a different episode because I could go on and on about that. But moments like these are when we should use our debt. You know, debt is a tool to use in moments that warrant it. Moments like disease and war. Debt shouldn't be used when you have a record economy, when everything is going your way. It shouldn't be skyrocketing like it did. You should be working on bringing it down. But I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows if if this is going to get worse or if it's going to get better or even when it's going to get better? But I'm going to tell you what we do know. 
we know we're in a mess. Hey, I'm Dave Rapids, and thanks for listening to The Mess We're In. If you liked what you just heard, go ahead and subscribe and follow. Or, if you want to be that person, don't. 